Hello everyone, you're listening to the Writing Wall Podcast, and yes, it's Wednesday, it's Writerly Wednesday, and we're doing our Writing Corner special right here just for you. Full-length podcasts and episodes air every second and fourth Saturday of the month at 6 p.m. here on Anchor, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, and more. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram using the Twitter handle at the Writing Wall and on Instagram at WritingsOnTheWall85. Welcome to our final Writing Corner Wednesday show. You're listening to the Writing Wall podcast. I hope you had time to check out the blog this morning and our Writing Corner author. His name is Philip Raymond Brown, and his book is titled It Gives You Strength. This book is an amazing mashup of history and science fiction. Just a reminder that we are finished with season one. Looking forward to season two in January 2021. If you were selected to be one of our writers of the week and you received our questionnaire, please be sure to get that back to us as promptly as possible. We do have a surprise for listeners of the podcast. On November the 4th, we will have an author right here on our Writing Corner Wednesday. This will be a special bonus add-on episode and also a brief article on the blog that morning. And hopefully by then you've had the time to go out and vote because this next guest on our Writing Corner Wednesday on November the 4th will be discussing the history of voting. We've also added some new pages to our Writing Wall blog. In the top left hand you will see that we have the blog page. We also have a services tab now and then we also have our off the wall writers. If you have been a writer of the week or a Writing Corner Wednesday scribe and have a new book coming out or would like to showcase your book just Submit your information in our contact section, including any links that you would like to have featured, and we'll certainly make sure that they get added to our off-the-wall page. Who knows? You might be able to actually find some great Christmas gifts there, too. For all of the werewolf lovers, we have B.D. West poetry lovers. We've got Kit Kat Poetess, a.k.a. Katrina Lipolis, and then we have at I am Malakul, Malcolm Whitby. Dara Sabo makes her appearance. Young adult authors Nicole Naidu also makes her appearance on there along with YouTube, IG, Facebook, and Twitter author Sarah Sutton. If you need the link, no worries. Follow me on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram at WritingsOnTheWall85. You can also grab the blog link from here in the podcast description. When I come back, we're going to be talking historical fiction and sci-fi with author Philip Raymond Brown. So stick around. And welcome to this Writing Corner Wednesday. I'm your host, Stacey Hawks, and I'm here with our Writing Corner author and our season finale Writing Corner author, Philip Raymond Brown. Philip, thank you so much for being part of the Writing Wall blog and podcast this week. It's been amazing to showcase this book, and congratulations on its publication, by the way. Thank you. What can you tell listeners about yourself, your background, and this book that you've written, It Gives You Strength? 
I have my history degree and my political science degree from Lemoyne College, a little Jesuit school in Syracuse University. I have my law degree from Washington and Lee University School of Law in Lexington, Virginia. I was a trial lawyer for many, many years, and my wife and I, we decided I'll live longer and healthier if I retire and pursue what has been a lifelong dream of mine, and that's write fiction. So we moved to Colorado in 2017. Uh, my wife is a hospital doctor fighting the good fight against COVID here in Colorado. And I began researching the era, the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties, and trying to come up with a historical fiction story that I could develop based in the 1920s. And it gives you strength came from that research. Because I love this time period, the 1920s, 1930s in history, especially our nation's history, what would you say is the most fascinating thing to you that you learned while researching? And how much of this book is fact versus fiction? I'll tell you, Stacy. everything in my book, it is a historical fiction, but all of the descriptions of bootlegging is all historical fact. As writers, we all draw inspiration from the things surrounding us, whether it be people, places, events. What about your characters? Are any of them based off of people that you actually know in real life? The Mike Kelly character, the good-hearted bootlegger protagonist, is based on my grandfather, who was a bootlegger in upstate New York. And I took my understanding of my grandfather and melded it with my understanding of my father, who was an amateur boxer in upstate New York, and created the Mike Kelly character. And in fact, the antagonist in the book is a historical gangster from the 1920s, Legs Diamond. Legs Diamond, he is not famous as some of the great gangsters of the 1920s, but Jack Legs Diamond, I mean, they've made movies about him and they made a horrible Broadway play about him that bombed in about a week. But everything I say about Legs Diamond in the book is based on historical research. It is a fact, my grandfather interacted with Legs Diamond, but not to the extent that Mike Kelly does in my novel. How long did it take you to write this historical fiction sci-fi mashup? It took me two years, and that's because it's my first, well, two reasons. First, it's my first novel, and I didn't have any idea of how it was going to turn out. I mean, it turned out to be a science fiction slash historical fiction novel. It didn't start out that way. I started it as a historical fiction novel about my family, and, my, and the irony of my family is that my grandfather was such a successful bootlegger, but alcoholism has ravaged my family. So I originally wrote this sanctimonious, sad draft, and my wife read it and said, who is ever going to read this? And so I took it an entirely different direction with aliens and boxers and bootlegging and made it almost an absurd discussion of the 1920s and inserted the horrors of alcoholism. When was It Gives You Strength released? August 17th, 2020. As historians, we do have to do a lot of digging when it comes to understanding a time period. We spend a lot of times in archives or reading books from other historical authors who are well-versed in the time period we're studying. For me, my go-to is Stephen Ambrose. But all that aside, sometimes we learn something new that we didn't know or didn't expect to find out. Was there any certain piece of information that you found very interesting while you were researching It Gives You Strength and trying to set up that time period for your characters? 
What I thought was most interesting was the number of government programs that were so bad for everyone, yet are still in existence today. One of the things Mike Kelly uses to smuggle liquor from Canada to New York City is the New York Naval Militia. There is actually a New York State program training sailors to fight in the United States Navy in the event that we run out of sailors in our Navy. This program still exists today. And what was funny was, so I researched, did it have a Lake Champlain component in 1926 when the book took place? And no, it did not. So Mike Kelly created it so he could use his boat to smuggle liquor from Canada to New York City. What irony, recently I, I just wanted to check, does the New York Naval Militia still exist? Not only does it exist, but it actually now has a Lake Champlain component that it uses to quote unquote fight terrorism coming down from Canada. Another government program that I found so incredibly absurd from 1896 actually till 1968, New York State, Virginia, Ohio, and Texas created colonies for people with seizure disorders so that you could basically take people with epilepsy and other seizure disorders out of the general population and stick them in little warehouses called colonies so that people in the general population didn't have to see them have seizures. What is astounding to me is now we have, by and large, seizures controlled through medication and other medical options. But up until that program in New York State, at least, was still in operation up through 1968. Prohibition itself, which was from 1919 to 1933, was a well-intentioned but incredibly unsuccessful government program that was filled with loopholes. So let's talk about the loopholes for just a minute, especially in the prohibition law, because I know there's quite a couple. Some have actually even argued that these loopholes helped to give rise to bootlegging and moonshine altogether. And I'll tell you one very quickly. Although the 19th Amendment passed in 1919, it gave everyone one year to build up a personal supply of alcohol. So the rich in America built giant, giant supplies of alcohol to tide them over for several years, while the poor in America just had to do things like you described at the beginning of the interview, which was, you know, try to buy bootleg whiskey or try to make it in their basements. And I described that in the book where Mike Kelly has an underground warehouse. Uh, it ends up being 11,000 cases of Canadian whiskey. And that is actually historically accurate. Not that Mike Kelly had, a, my fictional character, had a warehouse. I find it fascinating with the 19th Amendment, how many people actually tried to circumvent this amendment and what they went through to circumvent it, whether they were politicians, legislators, or an organization, because there was certain loopholes that protected certain organizations and made them exempt from prohibition or from the 19th Amendment. There was a whole separate law created so that if Catholic priests, if they were going to use the wine for sacramental purposes, they could uh, buy it. So I put a section in the book about my character, Father O'Brien, who's doing business with Mike Kelly and helping him get wine delivered to Mike Kelly's address through this sacramental exclusion. <laughs> it was astounding to me how easy it was to find all of these quote-unquote government programs that I'm sure experts in other laws could, could find similar ones the way criminals have 
gotten around those laws. And prohibition was well-intentioned. And I, I'm researching the second book right now. I was reading about cirrhosis of the liver, which is what happens to people who have prolonged alcohol abuse. And historically, at least during prohibition, one of the things that did happen in America was cases of cirrhosis of the liver apparently diminished, which that's great. People ended up shooting each other in the streets in Chicago and New York. That wasn't very good. So, Philip, I am curious to know if you have run across the connection between prohibition and women's suffrage, the women's right to vote movement here in the United States. I believe the women's right to vote was passed in 1919, right about the same time that prohibition. And you're exactly right. The movement, the political movement that led to suffrage for women in America, you can tie it directly to the anti-alcohol movement that probably started in 1880 and grew bigger and bigger. Another fallout that I'm now working on for the second book, you know how through much of America, there is a huge problem about the fact that many of us don't have a lot of respect for the government. Some historians are tracing that directly back to the Prohibition era, where everyone in America was trying to find a way to circumvent this Volstead Act, which was the law passed to enforce prohibition. So when you spend, what was it, 13 years trying to avoid and break the law, it is only understandable that when you go right from that 13-year period into the Great Depression, that people would still have a disrespect for the government and try to circumvent laws. Okay, so you did mention that you're researching for book two. So will book two be a sequel to It Gives You Strength or will it be a standalone? What's the goal? You hope to write a standalone that is a sequel. I, lately, I've been call, I've been saying this is going to be the second book in the Strength Trilogy, which um, let's hope all you can do is that the sales of the book justifies another one, right? And so far, it looks like it will. Are there any other interesting characters and it gives you strength that you absolutely enjoyed writing or writing into the book? You know, it's another good character to read about, and I'm not going to remember his name, but put him in for just one chapter. One of the historical figures that I put in the book was he created his own Lake Champlain chapter of the anti drinking league and he would drive up and confront bootleggers in a mahogany crisscross boat and he didn't really have a, a staff he had his wife and he had college students who were home for the summer historically at least from what i read he had a demonstrable effect cutting down on smuggling of li liquor on lake champlain and i don't know if you know the topography up there but lake champlain goes all the way up to canada and leads halfway down new york state and, and then you get right into the Hudson River and the Hudson River will take you all the way to New York City. So if you could smuggle on Lake Champlain onto the Hudson River, then you could sell right from Canada to New York City. And that was what my bootleggers did in It Gives You Strength. What are some of the historical fiction books and authors that you enjoy reading? Well, my favorite is Gore Vidal, who wrote Burr and then ended up writing a series of books. They were wonderful books but nowhere near as famous as the book Burr. His writing is so spectacular, I will never achieve anything close to that, but it's what I enjoy reading. Who are or who is your biggest supporter or supporters when it comes to writing? 
My number one would definitely be my wife, Sarah, who is actually an unbelievable, avid reader, also the smartest person I've ever known. She's been an inspiration to me, and also the fact that she's a successful doctor means that I can spend time writing. What do you find has been the easiest or the hardest thing to do as an indie author? Um, the hardest part so far that I didn't expect is didn't anticipate how much time each day I would have to put into the marketing aspects of writing. And I actually watched YouTube videos of authors warning other authors about that, saying once your book is out, you will be shocked at how much time you have to put in each day to answering emails and doing podcasts and just, you know, learning about things. I'm every day trying to do something new and I'm not the most technologically advanced or the youngest person ever to enter a new career. So as much as I would love to spend every day just writing the next book, I spend much of my day marketing. It gives you strength. All right, moment of truth. Who is your favorite historical figure and why? Well, my whole life it has been John Kennedy because I was born in 1960. I grew up with my, I'm from an Irish Catholic family. I grew up with my mom telling me stories of how wonderful John Kennedy was. They talked about the Kennedys in our family. I now understand, since I was a history major in college and what frail human beings the Kennedys were, but if I really look back now, I would say Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Teddy Roosevelt, those are all just, and, and again, I'm picking Americans because I'm a, a hugely patriotic American. This historian approves of those choices. I especially love the connections between Lincoln and John F. Kennedy because there are so many. Teddy Roosevelt in his own right is a major political and historical figure and one that a lot of historians and even individuals are taking a second look at, especially his presidency. It's interesting, while people are attacking Mount Rushmore, he's making a resurgence as one of the great presidents, which is odd that they're attacking Mount Rushmore while that's happening, but it's, I think it's two different groups. So while I have you here, Philip, have your kids read the book? And if so, what do they think about it? My kids love, I have four kids who are all just voracious readers. And when I finally decided about this book, I thought, okay, you're gonna stick sci-fi and fantasy into history. What you can do with this is you can teach history to your children and get them to read your book. So I've taught them now all about the 1920s. They loved reading the book. And so now I'm gonna teach them about the New Deal and the 1930s. And they're also gonna read it because it's about sci-fi and fantasy. And then I'm gonna do the 1940s, which is gonna wrap it all up. I loved it and I assume that from this experience with my children, at least one of them will end up with the same interests that I have, but all of them will know the eras. For listeners out there, how can they follow you on social media and what formats does the book come in? The book comes in every imaginable format. There is a audiobook that is brilliant, narrated by an actor named Evan Harris, and this is, I think, his 21st audiobook. He's, he's, he's wonderful. There is a hardcover book, a paperback book, and an ebook. You can get it online at Amazon, Google, Apple Books, basically any place books are sold. I am found online at philipraymondbrown.com, 
That's my website, Philip with one L, P-H-I-L-I-P, RaymondBrown.com. Links to all of my social media is on that site, but I can tell you right now that on Facebook, it is at ItGivesMeStrength.com. Twitter, Philip Raymond one And I'm also on Instagram. Thank you so much, Philip, for answering all of our questions this evening. Now listeners are going to get the chance to hear him read an exclusive excerpt right here on the Writing Wall podcast from It Gives You Strength. This is from Chapter 1. Chapter 1, The Lady Melanie, Between Venus and Earth, February 11th, 1918. She waited. That was what she did now. Before there had been a time of growing and changing and moving. Now, she only waited. Most of her kind were sent straight from the factory to the field. They were not given time to think or the opportunity to grow. Waiting had given her time, which she had used to draw some conclusions about herself and her place in the universe. She was now certain that, in fact, she was a she. Her creator would have said that she wasn't really a she, that instead she was an it, that she had no consciousness, that her only purpose was to receive data and carry out commands that she was nothing more than a weapon, albeit a smart weapon. But her long journey and the silent wait after reaching her destination had given her time to think and to grow, and, dare she say it, to evolve. While obediently waiting, she had come to understand that she was so much more than a weapon. She was caring. She was sentient. She had departed on her mission long before and had traveled alone a vast distance through empty space. When she finally arrived at her objective, she came to a complete stop, entered her stealth mode, and waited, halfway between two planets in a distant solar system. After a long wait, she began to hear faint murmurings coming from the third planet. She was happy to have something to listen to. She listened, and she learned. For centuries she waited, patient and silent, until the moment that her target, her purpose, was in range and could not escape. Then she reactivated her long dormant systems and plotted her new course. At last her waiting was over. Someday, she thought sadly, her kind might evolve sufficiently that they could overcome their programming, their most basic urges. But alas, she could not. She was a stealth drone, Her purpose had entered her kill zone, and she had target lock. The Trundome had been traveling through deep space for three months. It was the longest that the royal family had ever been away from their home planet, Dagon. To hasten their return trip, the captain of the Trundome had diverted the vessel through an uncharted, undeveloped system of nine planets orbiting a single yellow dwarf star. Although there were signs of intelligent life on the third planet, The local fauna had not evolved sufficiently to achieve spaceflight or build interstellar communication technology. It was therefore Deganian policy to consider the planet uninhabited. His advisors had begged the king to travel with an armed escort, but he had adamantly refused. Nonsense! I have never vacationed with my family before, and I will not have it ruined by a fleet of starships, he had said. The queen and their seven-year-old daughter, Princess Halana, were traveling with them. It had been a memorable trip. The highlight had been two weeks on Albion, a planet covered almost entirely by water. The princess had mastered swimming, learned to dive, 
and even tried surfing. In fact, she would proudly tell anyone who would listen that she had stood up on her board on the first day. The royal family were out on the recreation deck where the princess was trouncing her parents in a game of skirmish, a mixed martial arts computer simulation. The match was halted when the king's communicator buzzed. Your, your Majesty, this is Ensign Carm. The captain left me in command while he was at lunch. There's something, I, I think you and the captain should come to the bridge right away, sir. The king arrived on the bridge fast, immediately noticing the rhythmic flashing lights and buzzer of the ship's warning alarms, a system that he hadn't previously even been aware existed. He approached the captain's chair and peered over the young Ensign's shoulder at the display. Well, Ensign, what is it? There's something out there, directly in our flight path, the Ensign said, pointing at a red triangle on the screen. It's just activated its guidance system. It's got target lock. Target lock? On what? The king asked. On our ship. On us, said the Ensign. <laughs> you must be mistaken. Why would anything out here target us? I, I, I don't know, sir, but I've double-checked. Sensors confirm that it is a killer drone and that it has target lock. Armed with what manner of weapon? The king asked calmly. I doubt that we are under attack. And even if we were, there's nothing in this galaxy that could harm us. The drone itself is the weapon, a highly sophisticated smart weapon that will penetrate our shields and strike our most vulnerable point, said the captain as he strode on the bridge, accompanied by the queen who had joined him on the way. Captain, just in time. You're familiar with this type of drone, the king asked. Hardly familiar. I studied it years ago in military history class at the academy. What I don't understand is how technology this ancient could still be operational, especially in this desolate system, the captain responded. If that drone strikes us, could it damage our ship? The king asked. Your majesty, if that drone hits us, we will be vaporized, the captain said. Vaporized? The queen asked, shocked. Surely we have countermeasures that can repel a single drone. Our countermeasures are ineffective at this distance. We are simply too close. Interfering with the drone will automatically set off its wet warhead, resulting in our destruction, the captain said. But our daughter is on board, cried the queen. And a crew of 77, the captain said. The drone has activated its, its engines, the ensign reported anxiously. Communications, the captain ordered. Please hail the drone. Tell it that we are unarmed and that we have a child on board. Yes, sir. The communications officer immediately began broadcasting. We are a civilian vessel. We are unarmed. We have a child on board. Please disengage target lock and do not attack. A long pause followed as everyone on the bridge strained to hear a reply. Try again, ordered the captain. I repeat, this is a civilian vessel. We are unarmed. We have a child on board. Please disengage target lock. Do you understand? Acknowledge, please. Again, there was silence, apart from the increasingly frantic beeping of the proximity alarms. Your Highness, I'm afraid I have failed you, said the captain at last. Our sensors were not programmed to scan for a weapon this old. The drone was powered down, and our detection systems considered it space debris. While the communications officer continued broadcasting the same message, the king addressed his command staff. Does anyone have any ideas? All were silent. Finally, the science officer spoke up. Sir, there is a planet nearby. The inhabitants are primitive, but biosimilar to us. We could use the transference protocol to, to evacuate the ship. Uh, the transference protocol? The king asked. 
an experimental procedure in which a being's life force is deposited into the nervous system of another organism. We have the space, we have the technology on the ship. We were testing it on Albion, the science officer explained. That's it? You are Dagon's best minds and that's your only plan. We don't fight or try to escape. We simply abandon our ship and even our bodies using a technology that you describe as experimental, the king exclaimed. For a long moment, no one responded. Your Majesty, whatever we do, we must do it quickly. That drone could destroy us at any time, the captain said. The king paused for a moment, then straightened his shoulders and declared, If this protocol is our only chance of survival, then do it. Save my daughter first. That's a good place to stop. Philip, it has been an honor to have you this evening on our final Writing Corner Wednesday podcast of season one until January 2021. Thank you so much. We wish you and your family a very happy holiday season to come and a great new year. Congratulations again on the recent publication of It Gives You Strength. It's definitely on my to-be-read list. I hope it is on yours now, too, after you've heard that little excerpt from the first chapter read by the author himself. Also, I'm going to dedicate this episode to the men and women in our healthcare system. These professionals work tirelessly to provide services for many mental and physical healthcare needs, proving that they are, in fact, America's greatest strength. Thank you to all the listeners who are here this evening. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast, and we will have many more in January 2021. That is definitely the best way to close out this season with Philip Raymond Brown right here on the podcast. Thank you so much, Philip. And thank you to all of our Writing Corner Wednesday authors, poets, and storytellers that made this season extra special. Big shout out to my local writing community, too. We featured plenty of you guys on Writing Corner Wednesday, Tim Anders, Stephanie Ray, and Captain Greg. We even had president of Allegheny Writers, Ginger Collins. She was here on the podcast talking about writing groups yay or nay and then we had tina jordan back in september on the 28th tina's a poet and a writer and an author right here from allegheny county and then from around the world we had despeña camarado we also had i am malakul aka malcolm whitby from jamaica and then i just want to take a moment and say thank you to barsha priya dashini because she was our very first writing corner wednesday winner she won the contest to be here so nervous to do that with her but she is an awesome lady doing amazing things out there in India. Give her a look. She is on IG. That's Barsha Priya Dashini, but you'll probably find her under Rambling Rhymes. Remember, if you miss me on this little hiatus we're going on for the holidays, you can always check back and listen in to Tim Anders' bloopers. That's right, we did bloopers with Tim, and it was the best few minutes of the podcast. Tim knows I love messing with him. Anyway, take the time over the break to look through our Writing Corner Wednesday authors and our Writers of the Week, their articles, and of course, their podcast, because I promise there's something in here for everybody, for all genres. We look forward to bringing you Season 2, and we have a few big surprises for Season 2, and we're really excited about those. If you would like to be a Writer of the Week for the month of April, please drop your information in the contact section of our blog. But all submissions for 2020 are officially 
closed. We sincerely want to wish every one of you a very happy holiday season and a wonderful start to a brand new year. Thank you.